This week, the lesson has to do with Jesus' encounter with a tax collector, and not just any tax collector, but the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Such individuals were known for colluding with Rome and for taking advantage of others to make a good profit for themselves. Now, all tax collectors, by definition, are wealthy since they purchase the right to collect taxes and profit from what they charge above and beyond what they collected for the Roman Empire. They were reviled in particular because they were Jews who exploited their fellow Jews. So Zacchaeus may have been the most hated man in all of Jericho. Sure, he was wealthy, but he worked for the occupying forces and was therefore a traitor to his own people. Who would make room for him in a crowd? Who would want to be seen with him? We hear that he was short in stature and thus climbed a sycamore tree to be able to see Jesus. Now, running and climbing a tree would have been very undignified for a man in his position. But given how despised he would have been, is it of no surprise that no one moved aside in the crowd so he could see? Or perhaps he felt more comfortable perched above, free to observe this Jesus whom he's heard about, but at a safe distance away from the disapproving crowd. But all this changes when he encounters Jesus. We hear that Jesus, when he got to where Zacchaeus was perched, looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must stay at your house today. By declaring publicly that he is going to stay at Zacchaeus' house, he is making a particular point. Dining with someone, uh, by Pharisaic standards, denotes not merely friendliness, but parity and acceptance. And this does not go unnoticed by the crowd, which begins to grumble that he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Now, however stunned Zacchaeus was by Jesus, not only recognizing him, but inviting himself over to his house, he recovered well as he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. What's more, he tells Jesus, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus' life therefore changes greatly. Something in his encounter with Jesus changed the way that Zacchaeus saw the world. Now he could see people in need, whereas before he only saw people he could use. And this prompts Jesus to declare that today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Whereas the tax collector in last week's reading was justified on the basis of his simple trust in God's mercy, Zacchaeus' salvation lies in radical obedience to God's ways his generosity, and restructuring his relationships to others in his community. Now, this story includes many of the common themes we find in Luke. Jesus' welcome of outsiders, the character of faith and repentance, the right use of money and possessions, and the presence of God's salvation in the world. Jesus says that today salvation has come, not in the afterlife, but here and now because of what one sinner who was lost has done. It's 
interesting that Zacchaeus represents not only an outcast by his profession, but also an oppressor. His response to Jesus to give half of his wealth to the poor and pay back those he has defrauded reflects his understanding of what Jesus stands for, distributive justice, but also changes his relationship with his community. Undoubtedly, he will have to leave his profession since the very nature of his work as chief tax collector defrauds and exploits his fellow Jews. The significance of this is not lost on Jesus, since as a tax gatherer, Zacchaeus would have had to forfeit his position in the Jewish church. By calling him a son of Abraham, or a good Jew, Jesus is restoring his place as heir to the covenant and more practically restoring his relationship with others in the Jewish church. Zacchaeus was thus lost, not only because he was a social outcast who was not allowed to participate in the life of the church, but also because his very profession exploited others and contributed to the social inequities of the day. Jesus challenges the first, his being a social outcast, by publicly inviting himself into his home treating him as a human being worthy of such attention, as an equal, just as Jesus did with so many others who were shunned, women, the sick, those with physical limitations. But the remedy for the second aspect of his being lost was really in Zacchaeus' response to Jesus in his faithfulness. Such a response requires knowing who Jesus is and what it is that God requires of us. Friday, I attended the celebration of life for a longtime parishioner at the church where I served at before St. Augustine's Holy Faith in Inglewood. A man named Kenneth Adams and someone who had, been, had a very good handle on knowing what it is that God requires of us had passed away. Ken lived a long and faithful life. He would have been 104 years old this December. Every single day, he showed up to church he was wearing his abolish the death penalty button pinned to his breast pocket of his shirt. Ken participated in the March on Selma and was a tireless advocate for addressing racism in the workplace and in the church. Ken is known and beloved by many in our diocese and in Chicago where he grew up, graduated from college at the University of Chicago, worked and raised a family. He was a key leader in the Union of Black Episcopalians nationally and locally in Chicago, and then Los Angeles when he moved here after retiring. Now, one thing I didn't know about Ken that I learned about at this memorial service was that five years ago, when he was about to turn 99, he made a substantial donation to Episcopal Relief and Development. Now, Ken was not a wealthy man. In fact, when I met him in the early 90s, he had spent down much of his savings to provide care uh, long-term care for his wife, who had passed away just a few years before. And then there's the fact that he went on to live nearly 40 years after retirement. Hardly anyone can plan for that. But Ken had seen a National Geographic special on the difficulties that many African women and girls face daily in finding water for their families, the long distances they have to travel, the dangers encountered on the road, and the health problems caused by drinking unsafe water. He was haunted by what he had seen in this film and reportedly said, if I don't act now, I may never get the chance. 
Together with ERD, his $50,000 donation created a matching gift that then installed 80 rainwater catchment tanks at schools, churches, and health centers in southwestern Kenya, with a sustainable impact on improved health and quality of life for literally hundreds of thousands of individuals. Now, the move did not surprise me, given what I know about Ken, but was yet another testament to his faithfulness throughout his life, his very long life. And he was faithful even when he didn't see his prayers and efforts answered. His tireless effort to abolish the death penalty in Illinois and then California reminded me a bit of a reading from Habakkuk where the prophet cries out to God, how long shall I cry for help and thou wilt not hear? It's hard to work for something when change seems slow and our cries go unanswered. But God's answer to Habakkuk is, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God encourages Habakkuk and us to think about what God wants for our communities, to write it out so it can be shared with others, and to make it simple enough so that everyone can understand it and work toward it. Ken knew this, which is why he wore his abolish the death penalty button every single day. During this time of reflection in our annual giving campaign, let us then consider how God is calling each of us to respond. Perhaps we need to climb that tree like Zacchaeus to get a better view, or because we are feeling hindered by those around us. Eventually, though, we will need to come down and encounter Jesus, taking him into our homes and hearts. And this encounter should transform us, prompting us to make radical changes in our lives, like how we use our wealth and how we treat others. What is our vision? Do we have it plain and simple enough so that we and others can understand it and work toward it? What is our vision for St. A's, for the communities in which we live and work and play? I know that with all we've been entrusted with families, work, day-to-day -day responsibilities, it sometimes seems challenging to take care of everything and still have time and energy for the bigger, broader issues of social justice. But this is our calling, to strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. And this is why we come together as a community, to challenge, encourage, and support one another. Share with each other your visions. Let us dream and scheme together on how to make this community and our world a better place for all. May we all be inspired by the faithfulness and persistence of old souls like Ken, the radical obedience of Zacchaeus, and the urgency of both, with a sense that if we don't act now, we may never get the chance. Amen.